0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to its rainmaking time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome a hyper activist. <laughs> welcome Carol Brule to its Rainmaking time. She is the co-founder of the International Media Project, which produces Making Contact, a half hour radio program now heard in over two hundred stations in the United States and Canada. She also helped found the Who's Counting project, which promoted the film Who's Counting? Marilyn Waring on Sex, Lies, and Global Economics. And in December of 2002, she helped found the Northern California 9-11 Truth Alliance. Pretty much anything she touches happens. She is brilliant and creative. She's dedicated She's multifaceted. She's not your typical activist. And what I mean by that is she's grounded in love. It's not that her energy is against things. She's actually for things. She is a part of a team of people that developed the Deception and Conception Dollar at DeceptionDollar.com, taking part of activism in a way that is creative and gets the message out. We can learn a lot from her. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Carol Brulé to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning.
1: Good morning, and thank you, Kim, for inviting me and for your outstanding work.
0: Thank you so much. You've done so much work. You remind me of a modern-day Anita Roddick, but your full-time job is activism, isn't it?
1: Well, I became an activist in 1992, and at the time I had two kids and I was pregnant so i've always had to balance being a mom with being an activist i mean i the activism it's just something that i can't resist doing and um and i you know i love my kids and i wanted to be a good mom in fact i remember asking the kids when they were about 5 well I think I could be a great mom or I could save the world. What do you what do you think I should do? And, <laughs> and of course the kids said, Oh, do both, mom. So <laughs> Aren't
0: the kids smart? The kids are so do. smart. <laughs>
1: right. But it's it's been a it's been a challenge because especially uh trying to change the monetary system and campaigning nine eleven truth, those are really life long endeavors. And I try to do not just the kids, but also take on some really huge, big global issues. And sometimes it feels like I'm carrying the whole world on my shoulders, but I know I'm not. And it's great to see, uh, social movements grow and evolve and pull one another along. And I, one of my, one of my mentors was, uh, Bill Moyer, who wrote a book called Doing Democracy, The Eight Stages of Social Movements. And he really maps out how social movements work and uh, what what you need to do at the various stages and how to be an effective activist. and And I've followed his uh, charts and suggestions for the social movements that I've been championing. And he also has participated in them. He came with us when we marched on Feinstein's office to demand the congressional investigation of nine eleven back in. January 2002, and at the time I was passing out the worksheets to everyone saying, oh look, we're at stage one where people don't know there's a problem <laughs> and it's <laughs> not going to happen overnight because <laughs> sometimes social movements, they take 50 years to ripen and to accomplish what they set out to do uh, it's not an easy process and you have to have a, a bit of patience and be persistent and understand you know, the different stages and, and how to how to help other social movements and realize that, you know, we're not competing like right now. If we want to save the planet, we, we want to save the water and the air and the land and the seeds. There's so many things. Uh, they're that all are important. Developed. Right. So so we want to help other activists. Even if they're not working on our issue, they're doing the, the work we can't do. So um, I, I think being able to see the connection and empower all activists and, uh, is very important.
0: Do you think that there will be a way to measure the years of work that you and others have done to affect a visible and concrete change? How do you as a hyper activist and the person that you are, how do you look to see what's working and what's not?
1: Ah uh, that's uh, a good question. I think a lot of it we we it, it's immeasurable and in some ways that's good <laughs> there's There's a wonderful story that inspired me about um, some people who were walking across a, a field in Finhorn, Scotland, and the sun was rising, and they suddenly noticed that the field next to them was an enormous spider web, just. You know acres of all these interconnected spider webs, but it was invisible until the sun hit it at just the right angle, and you could see the beads of uh, moisture on the web, and you know they just they just glowed and were were gorgeous and glistening in the in the morning sunlight. And I think that's the way activism is too. It's those networks of love, trust, cooperation, which aren't measurable, which aren't visible, but those are the most powerful things. In fact, there's an old African proverb about, um, you know, it takes many web spiders to bring down an elephant, but it, spiders' webs could actually contain an elephant. And so I think that's what we have to nurture is that love, that trust, that cooperation. Uh, to, to rein in the, the rampaging elephants that are causing so much damage and, uh, wrecking such havoc up on the planet. And, it's, and in some ways it's like our, our, our real only choice too. I think you recognize this and I recognize this, that, uh, the fo- the forces of empire and tyranny, they rely on war, fear, deception, and the, the forces of um, trying to save the planet <laughs> rely on love, cooperation, truth, and th- that's what we have. Uh, and I think those forces are are greater than than the other ones. In fact, the other ones sort of betray a, a sort of psychopathic, disconnected, um, tortured human being, or maybe not even a human being. Who knows? But um, but, but that's that's what needs to be. Um, exposed, and we also just have to encourage one another so that we can um, expose the the lies and the myths and reorganize society and our systems so that they serve life and they don't oppress and tyrannize and destroy life.
0: I have a question that is always... Kind of haunted me. And it's in the realm of the impacts of activism, which, by the way, I love your example of many spider webs bringing down the elephant. And we love the elephants here, but I know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that I often wonder is is exposure, the realm of exposure, enough to bring down the multifaceted elephants in different industries that are wreaking havoc with civilization, the planet, the plant, animal, and mineral kingdom.
1: Uh, well, one of my favorite uh, activists is Starhawk. I'm, I'm, sure you're probably familiar with her work, but she she talks about uh, magic and how to shift consciousness and how um, we have to sort of tune in to the larger, the largest possible. Picture, and that if we if we stay focused on the the narrow, uh, limited, defined, um, politically correct versions of reality, we 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 we're stuck. We're trapped. And if we expand our consciousness to embrace all of life, the much larger dimensions, then we can maybe, you know. Tune into it and help shift consciousness, and and I think that you know truth is part of that. And it, and it uh, when if if everybody is told you know you have to walk this way within these very narrow, this is the only way you can change things, and and, and, and you have such a limited view, then you and then you are trapped and you are hopeless, and there is no possibility of change. But when you realize that reality is wider and deeper. Um, and there's more possibilities than you can sometimes figure out solutions um, outside of the box, and and help people to see that. I mean, one of the reasons um, I've taken on the issues that I've taken on is um, before I became an activist, I did public relations, and I was successful at getting out stories on uh, television, radio, newspapers, magazines, and when i realized oh my god the most important critical issues nobody knows anything about them they, these have to reach the public before if they don't know there's a problem how can we how can we change things how can we have a solution so i was always always thinking that you know just by getting out the truth we can shift consciousness and and change things and i realized you know there's there's more obstacles than just simply getting that that information out to people, but it it is the first step in um in 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 the shift that needs to happen. And my my mentor, um, Bill Moyer, he also talked about how the public needs to be convinced three times: first that a problem exists, and then that they can overcome it, and that the solution is less scary than the problem because most human beings are terrified of change and it's and they don't want to go out of the frying pan into the fire so it's hard to get people to change i think we've seen uh naomi klein's book on the shock doctrine yes that they use they use <laughs> they use this all the time i mean they they create problems they create cat- catastrophes, so that they could offer false solutions uh, which are, you know, which exasperate the problem and make things worse, but, but if, but they, but they push them through so quickly that people think, <laughs> or, or they get tricked or they get duped into, you know, horrific changes. I mean, some of us realize what's going on and say, hey, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, don't, don't pass the Patriot Act. We don't need that. That's not going to make things better. Um, but, uh, that, you know, it's it's always I, I would say a dance or a struggle between um, affecting people's consciousness and and winning over people. I don't know if you saw the 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 film that just came out. I am.
0: I haven't seen it yet.
1: The documentary. It's it's really quite interesting. It's uh, a filmmaker. He he injures his brain and goes to seek. Um, responses to the, the most profound questions from the great wise people about you know what are the problems how can we solve them and of course the, the quick solution is i am the problem i am the solution but it but it but it looks at sort of the process of enlightenment and the latest discoveries in consciousness and how things are connected and how human beings in some ways were each a cell of this much larger body and that uh our our consciousness that we we're we're part of a whole and we affect the whole and how um with with animals like deer and fish and birds when you see them swarming or or um, the schools of fish <laughs> gathering, and and the deer deciding to go somewhere. They're it, in some ways they're they're voting, and they affect one another's consciousness. and And human beings, to some degree, are, are are the same way. When when they sense that a vast majority is moving a certain direction, most of them will go along because we we want to belong, we want to be part of something, and so. Convincing people that they're part of the majority, as part of winning over the population to go or move in a certain direction, and there's always a battle over uh, how do we how do we reach people to to get them to move in a, in a in a direction which uh, is beneficial to all of. I mean. The, the the activist people who want the planet to survive we want us we want humanity to move on on a path towards um, wholeness right right and and then there's this this other part that wants to hang on to power and they I think to some degree they don't mind killing off a lot of people so they can maintain their wealth and their power. And so they do things which are not to the detriment or that are to the detriment of the vast majority and to their own you know and and i I would just say too i I really think that there's there's something you know deeply wrong with them because they they are putting humanity on a a, a suicidal very destructive path that's taking down a lot of other species and threatening the whole biosphere and it and it is this Sort of, that, it, Eric Fromm talks about this: the the biophiliacs and the necrophiliacs. The biophiliacs are those who love life, and the necrophiliacs; those are the ones that, if they can't control it, they want to kill it. And and unfortunately, in some ways, they're they're destroying themselves. They're almost committing suicide. And while they're doing it, they're taking down lots of other people. They're destroying, you know, their souls, <laughs> and and they're causing so much harm and that's where i think when when i was raising kids i said you know the solution isn't to just kill all the bad guys that doesn't work you have to realize these people who are causing so much destruction it's because they never learned how to love there there's a disconnect within themselves they they don't um there's something fundamentally wrong if they if they
0: if they do have a lot. They
1: wouldn't create the pain and the ha- and the, and the problems that they do. I think there there's some famous quotes about some of the ruling elite in England who think that you know the best thing for humanity would be a, a modified Ebola virus <laughs> that could wipe out ninety three percent because they they think of humanity as a plague, a cancer upon the earth, and and. And I love Starhawk because she thinks of. She says that's a very dangerous way of thinking. We have to realize that we are part of nature, and that we can live with nature and and in in harmony and in a very beautiful coexistence um, and coevolutionary process. And I I think that's where I'm leaning towards. And that's the those are the people that I work with is conscious coevolution with nature. We don't want to try to. Force these radical changes upon nature so that we can make a bunch of money, like the the people who have been trying to bioengineer the food, who have eradicated ninety five percent of the edible plants on the the planet, and and you know thrown out so much biopollution that now food is a threat to human health, as well as all these new chemicals, which. Uh, they, you know, they they combine with other things. They're a terrible threat to human health. There's all sorts of well, we know there's a litany of destructive technologies which have been thrown out there without thinking deeply or wisely about the impact on human health and the health of of everything else. And the the that's where that's where the work needs to be done. I, I have another friend and. I created the Conception Dollars, which were uh, antidotes. People look at the Deception Dollars, and uh, we've created over 7 million of these. But the, the Deception Dollars, originally they had Bush on them, and then they had a few other people in the background, and then they had Cheney on them. And the latest one has a man holding up an Obama mask flanked by Cheney lowering a Bush mask, but they have the important websites about 9-11 questioning the official story, and they will take people down the 9-11 truth rabbit hole where you'll find out about false flag operations and uh, how the official story is false. And, it, and it, for people who have never questioned the government, uh, it can be daunting, Daunting at best and And it can be frightening, too. so we, we a lot of people don't want to even look there. They don't want to go there. They're in denial. they They can't handle that. they they resist it. So we made these other dollars, which are the antidote dollars. And the first batch were conception dollars, and they had four in the corner four justice, for truth, for peace, for ecological wisdom and and the first ones had Cindy Sheehan, who was running against Pelosi on an impeachment platform, and then they have websites looking at solutions and butterflies and beautiful... The first ones had hope on the back, and it was to move us from empire towards community, to shift the story, to to look at for solutions. And then last year... I published a new version, an evolution of that, and those were the perception dollars. And if you look at those, instead of having a person, there's a keyhole with this beautiful image of a future we would like to go to. And on the back, it says love.
0: I love that. I saw it. Beautiful.
1: yeah, and the and in the the O there's the cosmic egg that's cracking, and this beautiful woman holding the earth in her arms, very lovingly, and those um, again, it's it's looking at solutions, and both the conception and the perception dollars, people are are so hungry for doing something positive, but it's much easier for them to just jump into doing something healthy and positive. Than um, you know, doing the shadow work and and going through all the the depressing stuff. So it, so we we often hand out both dollars, and sometimes people will take both, and sometimes they will take only one. <laughs> and generally, that will be the pretty one with the solutions on it.
0: Well, I think that's, I love the Walking the Global Heart Perception Dollar. Oh,
1: I, that was the point. I kind of digressed so much, but the whole title of the book is Waking the Global Heart, Humanity's Rights of Passage from the Love of Power to the Power of Love.
0: Is that your book?
1: it's Anadeya Judith's book and it's a beautiful wonderful book and she she's done a lot of spiritual work and for her humanity what's happened is uh, they've we've grown up like the whole collectively as a body um way too fast and the the heart chakra what didn't open up before the the brain char- chakra right. so what we have is this huge human body which is Dominating the planet and taking up so much space and using up so much resources. And it's, um, and it's using uh, the sort of an intellectual plane rather than uh, acknowledging or f- opening up the heart chakra or the, the, the love part. And that's where I would say our greatest wisdom is. And even in that that film I am. It looked at, you know, measuring the uh, electromagnetic field that human beings generate, and the heart is much more powerful than the head. And I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking, reason, rationality, especially critical thought, knowing history. But I think that a, a deeper wisdom comes from the heart, and that a lot of the problems are trying to solve things at, a, at an intellectual level and missing missing the, the deeper dimensions the, that emotional sensing feeling. and unfortunately, of course, people who know this too often like to manipulate other other people through the, through this knowledge and we have to be wary of that. we have to be careful of that. but I think most people, uh need to recognize their heart wisdom and and recognize I, I think most people know instinctively if i do this it's it's the right thing or it's the wrong thing and and have some some idea of what the consequences are going to be to the 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 people around them or or the larger system i mean we know when we fill the car with gasoline and we drive a long way that it's not beneficial to the earth we know when we bicycle or when we all these little actions how they how they how they impact people individually and
0: collectively one of the things i love about the love currency is it reminds me of mother Teresa's statement and of course i'm going to paraphrase and i'm not going to do it justice but basically she said she'll never go to an anti-war rally but she will go to a peace rally uh And so I like the humor of the other currency, okay, and the wisdom of the other currencies. The reason I'm attracted to the love currency and waking the global heart and the perception dollar is that you're seeding something into consciousness with that that has to do with the comment that Mother Teresa made. And so for visualizing and engaging consciousness, you've bridged a monetary look with the seed of love. And on a paradigm level, many people in the world don't accept the possibility that you can actually have the currency of love related to money and a message about us all being connected and the power of love. So to me, that's such a powerful imagery and such a powerful piece of art.
1: And I also think that the gift economy is where we want to go.
0: Talk about it, would you? We could talk for we had, 10 days We had a we gift should. economy
1: before money was invented, and I think you had more cooperation uh, when people lived in community. The word community means the free exchange of gifts.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I
0: love to learn, I swear. It's great. <laughs> people
1: lived uh, cooperatively. I mean, if you look at Darwin's survival of the species... The backstory of that is that the person who came before Darwin, who figured this out, <laughs> recognized as cooperation as a, a great survival skill, and it, it was the cooperativeness that was the, one of the most important survival skills. And I think this is this is something that we we need to acknowledge and and recognize that if we're going to. If we're going to make it as a species, we've got to <laughs> improve our cooperative abilities, not our competitive abilities. That's, that's much more important. And um, when oh, my, my husband was taking a class on empathy, and they were telling about um, experiments that they've done giving money to kids and seeing what they do with them. And I'm, I'm talking about college-age students. And when those students spent the money on themselves or paid off their debts, it didn't really affect them emotionally, but when they gave the money away, it made them happier. And a lot of people don't realize what makes them happy, but actually giving makes people happy. <laughs> and uh, so, um, and I think. I think one reason the the dollars have been so popular too is people like to give them away, and that when when we exercise that giving, uh, whether it be a smile, some fruit, some cookies, <laughs> money, our time, our attention, and and people respond to that, it, it brings us great joy, and uh, unfortunately, our our society. Generally, doesn't encourage people to do that. It's it, it 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 has a tendency to force people into the more exchange utilitarian mode. That's what is emphasized over and over again. So it's nice to to break that pattern and to just to I I, I mean one reason we created those dollars initially was. Um, because of the extreme censorship, it was a way to get information out to the public, and we would just pass them out on the street, uh, at tabling or at anti-war rallies, wherever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and if you walk up to somebody on the street and you give them something, it's like, oh, my God, they're so surprised, I mean, generally.
0: Why did you run for Congress, and what did you think you would be able to do differently?
1: Well... I I actually never expected to get elected to Congress. I was asked to run by the Green Party, and at the same time I had just um, been thrown out of a congressional debate by the uh, uh, League of Women Voters because I asked a taboo question. What'd you ask? I was asking about the 9-11 Commission because I felt it was a cover-up, and they were all for pushing forward with the 9-11 Commission's recommendations, which I thought were ridiculous and obscene and counterproductive. And so the League of Women Voters threw me out of the debate, and I thought, well, if I run for Congress, I can talk about this and raise this issue without getting thrown out of the debate so you have some legal ability to make statements that you you don't have uh, if you're not running for congress and then you get some free airtime some free television time so and the green party always needs candidates so I, I decided i'd go ahead and run and and that's the main reason that i did it also one of the meta messages that happened when and is still happening right now is that speaking about Nine Eleven Truth is political suicide, and this was the meta message that went out by the corporate media, especially when they um, uh, crucified Van Jones for signing a Nine Eleven Truth petition. And I think there's other people too. They just wanted people to know you can. This is taboo. You're not supposed to raise these questions or this issue. And so I was, I was trying to do it very publicly, um, so that it, it created more space for dialogue. In fact, when, um, when I first started doing that work, uh, just showing the first American-made 9-11 Truth documentary, uh, was a challenge. We we were doing it at the anti-war rallies in San Francisco on a, on a, a screen made by a sheet, <laughs> just projecting it for free for people in, in the Civic Center in San Francisco, and the police shut us down. They wouldn't let us do that.
0: How's that possible?
1: They just did it. Uh, and I've I've had police try to shut us down, you know, so many times, lying to us. I mean, a lot of things happen. But what happened... In that particular instance is that I rented the Herbst Theater at the San Francisco War Memorial Building, which is this big fancy building across the street from the City Hall, which borders the Civic Center. And in less than a month, we filled the Herbst Theater, which holds about 1,000 people, and we had to turn 300 people away <laughs> for this this film screening, which included the filmmakers and a lot of the people who were in the film, and it, the film was Aftermath, Unanswered Questions from 9-11, and the best thing about it was when you had a thousand people together talking about it, giving you a standing ovation, it made it okay to talk about 9-11. And, and Peace and justice groups came on board, but it, it, we broke the taboo. It was something that we could talk about. And then we, we did another big event. We, I organized the, the first citizen's inquiry into 9-11 in the United States. There had been one in Berlin, Germany, but I organized the San Francisco International Inquiry into 9-11, which took place over a few days, again, at the Herbst Theater in the War Memorial Building. And just to, you know, open the space so that this is a subject that we could talk about and, and brought together researchers, um, activists, documentary filmmakers, media people, and, and we got media coverage. We forced a response from the White House. It was at the same time that the 9-11 Commission was... was Holding its hearings, which were we, we considered it the cover up commission because they weren't asking the big questions they didn't touch areas that we were uh, looking into, and uh, so ours was a, a sort of a counter to the the nine eleven commission but just just by doing that very very publicly we raised the taboo topics and I and I I mean I still think it's a huge battle that we still it's almost like the Kennedy assassination where they vilified people as grassy knoll, you know, conspiracy theorists. I I I was so stunned when I was labeled a conspiracy theorist. I I was taken aback. I I should have known better, but I I never realized how heavily we would be vilified and ridiculed. Uh, in order to shut us up and to discredit us.
0: Well, that's how to silence and discredit people, and that is the common term now. That is the reflex that the system and the consciousness that is acting irresponsibly and coercively and criminally, that's what they do. I have a very tough question about some of what goes on in the nine eleven truth movement in different places. I'm going to give you a concrete example of something. I did an interview some months ago with Dr. Judy Wood, who spent 10 years, literally 10 years on the forensic examination of what happened with the buildings at Ground Zero. Right. And I was attacked on forums at Alex Jones and other different sites and Amazon, and she was viciously attacked. One of the things that bothers me, and I'm going to be upfront about where I stand about it and clear it with you, even on the show, which is that the dedicated people that have put themselves out to open up people's thinking about what happened, to re-examine this, to really look, to see that the supposed case that's closed and the story about this and what we've been presented actually isn't what happened. And I commend everybody for doing that. And the courage that it takes to do that, particularly all the years all of you have been doing it. And, you know, I know that you spearheaded a lot of this. But what I've seen happen in the, quote, movement or in different areas of the movement is that people viciously attack people who come up with a different view of what unfolded. In fact, I don't see why, for example, it cannot be possible that there was advanced weaponry, some type of direct energy weapon used. Right as well as thermite and other things. Like, I don't see what is the big deal about multiple facets of an operation happening during this catastrophic series of events. So why I've stayed completely out of all of it is because I'm only interested in the examination of what happened and to continue to stay open to look. And I bless people that have given years of their lives to try to figure out, even forensically, like Dr. Judy Wood, what happen to these buildings. Someone gives 10 years of their lives to sort one question and then a full examination of all different aspects of it. I'm willing to listen to them. right? But someone like her gets vilified and tormented inside the truth movement. And by the way, I'm not trying to tarnish or pollute the truth movement, but I'm saying to you that people get so invested in their take on what happened rather than blessing the other people have come up with additional information that may not be their paradigm, may not be what they think, may not be their ultimate conclusion, irrelevant. The fact is it takes all of us to do our own groundwork to really get at what this is about and what happened on a factual level. And that's why I've had nothing to do with any of it.
1: I think you can offer the same criticisms of the left in general or the peace movement in general to some degree that accuse okay. them of always you know okay, let's have a firing circle here <laughs> where everybody shoots everybody else in the back because in in the truth movement, you do see that. you see that anyone who um, becomes prominent or visible is a target. And is attacked um, from anyone who bears any disagreement, and and I'm not immune to that too. I mean, I have been um, attacked and you know ignored and vilified by people within and outside of the movement. It's easier to take the vilifications and the attacks from people outside the movement than it is from people within the movement who are supposed to be your allies. And uh, unfortunately, it is it is uh, it is a problem within the truth movement.
0: I mention it because whether it's the truth movement or whatever it is, if the same thing happens when you go to present information on climate change. Right. And I'm just going to tell you my quick position on this. And this is not about climate change the show, but I'm just giving you an example inside of what happens, which is that for years I was like global warming, global warming, global warming. It wasn't until I rolled up my sleeves and did a year and a half of groundwork did I sort what was going on for myself. Now, I continue to remain open because I love to learn. However, my whole stance, my whole understanding, my whole receptivity shifted when I started to develop a frame of reference and grounding for what even to look for and how to know, how to even discern what's being thrown at us. But if you start to talk sometimes to people who were invested the way I was, which is I just believed what I was told and I'm telling you the truth and I'm telling the audience the truth. And I've said this before. I just flat out believed it because I'm an environmental advocate, because I love the earth, people, animals, everything. So if you go to present new information or information that hasn't been properly introduced to people that already in their mind, they've settled it. There's no space to evolve where you are. There's no more learning. There's no more receptivity. And once people take their positions, it is a political fight. So I only get involved to the extent that I will try to continue to bring different facets of the jewel of climate to the public that is receptive and still open to learning. And you know, you talked about it in politics. It's true also in anything related to environmentalism. That can become a thing too. We have to watch this. I think all of us.
1: Yeah, it's not just the nine eleven truth movement. It's also the monetary reform movement. It's also the environmental movement. In fact, that's why my mentor. I mean, he was teaching uh, the Social Movement Empowerment Project for forty years. To. All activists. It wasn't just. You know, it was even before nine eleven truth even came on right. the scene, and and uh, and I think, um, you know, we have to learn how to dialogue. Actually, I'm going I'm to go to a a workshop um, this Wednesday by Jim Ruff, who teaches dynamic facilitation, and a friend of mine, another one. I as I have. I'm I'm really blessed. I like you. I, Thank you. I am open-minded, and I want to learn, too, and I want to see the largest possible picture and understand what's going on on a deep level, and uh, and I realize there's a lot of things that I don't know, and, and I haven't studied physics and science. I'm a college dropout, so I, I'm still open to new ideas and information. I don't have a rigid, oh, this is the way it is. <laughs> Anything outside of these lines, no way, but... Um, but uh, so uh, one thing that i 've learned is that dialogue is really important where if you can go deeper and deeper um, to those questions that um, where you can acknowledge you know i don 't have the answer, and the only way we we 're going to have the answer to this. If if everyone offers their truth, and then we might be able to figure this out together. But we're kind of stuck here in by thinking on on a on a debate level. Correct. We need to go to to take a larger view to come out with a deeper understanding of this problem and where the solution is. And and unfortunately, I think. Uh, a lot of it means uh, un, un, unraveling sometimes painful, painful truths and going way beyond ego, getting ego out of the way uh, and being very open and very honest to be able to, to, to go there. And, and I think that is possible. Actually, in, in our own local group, um, we had a mediation reconciliation because we had a big, huge conflict in 2009 that really never got resolved. And we, we went through this process in, in January. And in fact, I just did a mediation for another some, some other people in the 9-11 Truth Movement on, on Sunday. And one, uh, one of the books that I used as a tool was a book called The Practice and Art of Loving.
0: Sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's it's a wonderful book, and and it opens with a, a story about a king, who is trying to solve, you know, three questions. And he thought, oh, if I, I'll succeed in anything if I could just answer these questions. And the questions were like, when is the right time to do something? Who are the right people to do things with? And what is the most important thing to
0: do? Great.
1: And, and, and he finds this hermit who answers the questions and says that time is now. The people are who you are with, and the most important thing to do is to love. And and it, you know, it's, it seems like such a simple, obvious thing, but um, but it's, you know, people are grasping with this all all the all the time. And uh, when when we're when we're working together. Uh, Often, you know, there's people who are coming from places of ego, and they aren't recognizing the emotions involved, and feelings get hurt. The, by my other mentor, Bill Moyer, it, he he used to teach um, nonviolence to to men who had abused <laughs> their wives, and and he said actually. What you can learn from these, these personal relationships um, also apply to the larger systems. And I'm talking about, like, the U.S. government. Like, in, in men who abuse their wives, 3% of it is physical. Let's talk armies, police, military. And 40% of it is verbal. Let's talk <laughs> mass media. And, and a lot of it is psychological, and uh, again we we have these psyops happening to us all the time as, as citizens and uh, and he said too, that usually, when these guys attack the women or their their families uh, they don 't see it that way. What happens is they 're seeing that their view of themselves and their worldview is threatened and and they need the other person to reinforce the way they see themselves the way they see the world and they and they apply whatever amount of force required to get that person to support their view of themselves and their world and he said but if you're if you're enlightened or if you if you if you realize that your happiness and your inner peace isn't dependent on you know what everybody what that other person thinks of you then you can go into this place of dialogue where you can you can uh, be happy, take a deep breath, and then take whatever they say not as a threat, but as important information. And when you can, and and what they're telling you about the way they see the world and the way they view themselves, and when you when you when you can engage with people and have a, a genuine dialogue, not threatening, then you can learn from each other and and this is you know the the beauty of we we learn by by opening ourselves by speaking our truth by being honest then we get insights that the magic of of you know genuine communication, heartfelt communication, and open to learning what another person's story is, what their insight is, what their gift. And it's only by putting all these pieces together that we get a much richer, deeper understanding of ourselves and and reality.
0: You are able to maintain a real stance and a space of love and cooperation. It's really in your spirit, which is so great. There's a few more questions I want to ask you, if you don't mind. You have a few more minutes?
1: Oh, no problem.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, One is that earlier in 1992, you had read excerpts compiled by Dave Radcliffe on the health effects of low level radiation. And this inspired you to compile and edit The Invisible Nuclear War about the effects of low-level radiation, the massive governmental cover-up, and the battle waged by the nuclear powers against all life on Earth, as you say, on your website. Yeah. And we have an extremely dangerous situation regarding this nuclear problem that has erupted in Japan, but that is growing, aside from all the catastrophic effects of the earthquake and the tsunami. I think it's important to talk about it. I'm wondering what you're feeling and thinking about it right now.
1: Well, I at noon yesterday, I bicycled, I did the prayer, <laughs> and I poured water into a stream. And I, at, at this point, um, I, I think almost uh, it requires the attention and prayers and consciousness of everyone to Indeed. to to shift this situation. Um, and I and I. I don't know if we had any effect or not. I did notice that um, Germany is sending a big pump on over to Japan to help. And I I think, to some degree, the nuclear industry realizes that if they don't contain this, if they don't collectively figure out some way to to stop this, um, that it, it will be the death of... Japan and the nuclear industry um that i mean, i i i i was also reading um there's a wonderful russian writer who wrote a book called Voices of Chernobyl have you seen that
0: no i haven't
1: oh well check it out but it it's she's an amazing writer and she has got like 500 600 direct stories from people who lived through chernobyl just Telling their stories, and it's it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And the magnitude of Chernobyl, I don't think most people realize. I, I still, it's it's again, uh, in some ways, it's it's an information war. I even on my my little Facebook <laughs> page, I was getting these yo-yos saying oh the nuclear industry is fine only 31 people were killed in chernobyl blah 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 trying to stand up for the nuclear industry i was just absolutely appalled at this because the i think that's one reason the soviet union dissolved because chernobyl had a huge impact it was devastating for so many people and then the the food was contaminated it went all over russia it, it you know reduced people's um Life Uh, life expectancy and whatever faith in the government was evaporated. And art, I mean, it's it's so colossal to me. What what is going on in Japan right now is probably the greatest. threat to humanity ever devised by humanity that if 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 there is a total meltdown with all the fuel rods there if it if it if it blows up and all that plutonium is dispersed the impact is going to be horrendous horrendous and it's going to affect you know everybody for generations and generations and generations and and we 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 can almost not even conceive of how 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 enormous this is because I, I, so I, to me I, I mean i've already uh I, I wrote that i compiled that book because i felt so passionately about it and i've done everything that i can sort of to battle the the nuclear industry and to try to you know uh, shrink it and to stop it but i must admit you know i've uh, i've also taken on other issues as as well and sometimes that's it's one of the the challenges that i face each morning it's like oh my god where do i start i have it feels like you know the world's on my shoulders and and i don't know which problem <laughs> i should i should deal with today because because they can sometimes feel just so 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 huge and so overwhelming i i mean it, it, the the nuclear threat is huge and, and then I, I also organized this big event uh, on the Gulf oil disaster in February. I just,
0: I just was reading about this the other day, and I try not to stay in too much catastrophe every day. The Gulf has evolved to something way worse than when it even happened.
1: And these are preventable man-made disasters. And somebody, you know, I, the, the Gulf disaster, um, when they poisoned the Gulf and poured that Corexit on everybody and everything and poisoned the the fish and the seafood. The FDA raised the standards of how many toxins were permissible, and the government has been buying the toxic fish and seafood and putting it in the school lunches, in the prisoners' lunches, in the military's meals. This is what is happening. Are you
0: serious? The government? How do you know that? Uh,
1: uh, well, you know, I, I'm an activist. So, unfortunately, I get like so many, so much information at me all the time. I can't. I, I um, but I. This is what I've heard. This is what I've heard from from the activists who are still working on the the Gulf, because I'm I'm in touch with them.
0: I did read something the other day that. There is some type of bacterial agent that has also been put in the Gulf. Synthetic genomics is working with the Gulf, either BP directly or the government and BP. And if I'm wrong about this, then I'm wrong. But this was the article I was reading. And they're like bacteria eating microbes. But what's happening is people who have had fish that have come in touch with this have died within a few days, and they turn blue. Uh,
1: yeah, there's some really horrible things happen. Some people they just put their feet in their wa in the water, and they get yeah, there's some pretty nasty, weird things going on in the water with the contamination there. And there are people dying uh, in horrible, fast, inexplicable ways.
0: And I think the other thing, Carol, is that the workers who are on cleanup have a gag order. They cannot speak about anything. Now, anytime you have a gag order, when you have deaths going on and horror, whenever there's a formal gag order, you know there's a cover-up. You know there's a cover-up. Right? Why couldn't they tell what they're seeing? What's the problem? Do we or do we not have free speech in America? Do we or do we not?
1: As long as you can't be seen and can't be heard, you can talk. <laughs> but you know, once you can reach a certain number of people, then then you then you have problems. But one thing I wanted to say too about what happened with the Gulf and the and the the toxic fish and the toxic seafood and um, and the FDA raising the levels is that you know they've discovered radiation in milk in Seattle like yesterday and it's entering our food stream here in the United States. And the nuclear... Um,
0: Commission? Uh,
1: yeah, the nuclear agency wants to raise the permissible amounts of radiation in the food now. I mean, this totally,
0: is Totally, totally unacceptable. This is
1: the government response. It's like in the wake of 9-11, you had the, the White House put the pressure on the EPA to say the water and the air is, is safe. And they raise the, uh, you know, the amount of poisons and toxins that people can can be exposed to, and
0: fluoride in the public water system. Right. They raise the levels on purpose,
1: right? And then, and then with the the fracking that's going on, in addition to everything else. I mean, this is destroying the whole water system of the uh, the whole country with the fracking, and. Uh, Again there's a big huge battle here but we see this collusion between the corporations and the governments. That's one reason when we were um when we had this event it was called Oil Apocalypse now with Dr. Ricky Ott who's who was on the front lines against the oil companies before the Exxon Valdez and she's a, the heroine of the film Black Wave, the Legacy of the Exxon Valdez which we showed. And then she in the wake of the Gulf disaster she went down to offer what she had experienced, what she had learned from Exxon Valdez, which you know the courts side with the corporations they they've been aiding and abetting the corporations who are um shifting the burdens onto the people, the people who are losing their 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 health, their lives, their livelihood their land um they are the ones who are are paying for the the disaster and uh, so she's been she's been championing a twenty eighth amendment to reigning corporate personhood because right now the corporate monsters, the corporate elephants, are the ones that are doing a lot of the trampling, and they're the they're the the nuclear industry and the oil industry and the weapons industry and the media industry, and they're colluding against the the human people, the small folks that they're they're just stomping on so that they can. Corporations could exist, and
0: how did you feel when Obama passed the corporate personhood statute?
1: Oh, you know, it was—it was. Is this the
0: change that you were looking forward to?
1: Well, you know, I—I I didn't actually vote for Obama. I did—I did run at the same time for Congress, and I did vote for Cynthia McKinney who 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 has been vilified by the, the media and the press, who really is on the side of the people and was our most courageous voice in Congress for a while until they ousted her. And I think this happens, that the the few honest, brave, courageous souls who manage to miraculously get elected and go to Congress, as soon as they're identified, then they are targeted for removal. There was another um, congressman who spoke out very strongly, uh, challenging the the financial meltdown, uh, the fi- the largest financial heist in the history of the planet. Uh, I think his name was Alan. Grayson. Oh,
0: from Florida. Yes. Yeah, he
1: was great, and he got ousted because he he raised some pretty tough questions. Yeah, he
0: confronted Bernanke about where the credit default swaps went right. and who they went to. I saw right. it.
1: Right, right. He was great. So he, you know, he was targeted. He was taken out. Um, but but you know the and and I and one reason I shifted from the nuclear industry you know to looking at the monetary system was Dr Jacques Jacquinon his book Debt Virus.
0: At, I read that book. Oh my and, God! And,
1: and realizing that uh, w- what was killing even more people than the horrific wars, which I hate. I mean, I I'm very much opposed to torture, killing people, etc. But the economic war—I mean, there's more people dying uh, in 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 isolation, in quietly, of hunger, starvation, deprivation yes. than in all these wars. And it's this huge economic war, and and we're seeing that now. It's 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 continuing to expand. There's the the concentration of wealth and power has never been greater. The people who were the architects of the latest giant bubble that burst, um, they're the ones that are gobbling up the land and the resources and, and stealing from the money. Still, the, the only, the only good thing about the, the decision of Citizens United and the financial meltdown is that People are beginning to wake up and say, oh, there is a re- there is really a problem here. People who wouldn't have noticed otherwise are being hurt now.
0: I really want to say something controversial, and I will say I'm an optimist, okay? I am an optimist. It may well be that even in the waking up to all the particles, all the aspects of the takedown of this civilization as we know and understand it, may not be insufficiency in terms of the timing to alter what is unfolding. When you and I live in a world where we both know that even weather is both organic and synthetically induced, we're on another playing field when you have technologies in the military hands to be able to impact earthquakes across the world, to alter weather across the world, for Raytheon to take Nikola Tesla's patent and have a purpose of owning the weather by 2020. When they come out and document it, and Monsanto is saying, we're going to own the food supply by 2020 or 2025, when corporate personhood begins to speak, that reigns a power when they're global organizations. So to me, Carol, It is truly in the realm of prayer. It is truly in the realm of doing what you can every day and working with others like you're talking about. But it is also calling upon divine intervention in whatever way we all can, wherever we are in our relationship to God, in divinity, whatever that is to us. I believe in my heart of hearts, we need to call upon and work with and protect ourselves with a bubble of sacredness during this time frame in which we're alive. The question then becomes, what is the purpose of all this? To even spend any time on it is we are standing for the future of humanity and the future of the planet as we know it. That's what we're standing for. Right. It's really, is there going to be a future here at all? I don't think it's a matter of, is this food supply gone or is the water floor dead or whatever? It's all happening at the same time. From spraying our air, fluoridating and contaminating the water, and deciding what the population needs, not even asking the population, do you want it? Altering our food supply, owning the genetic molecular structure of seeds. It's so huge. So then, when you finally get to the governmental apparatuses and you really get into how it works, see, you ran not even expecting to win. I still think it's great that you ran, but maybe the population that votes. And I may be lambasted for saying this. Aren't the ones who are putting people in office like we think we are? Maybe we're not.
1: Right, right. Well, they—I think—they um, showed us when they stole the election, the presidential election in two thousand and two thousand four, that they can do that and get away with it easily. <laughs> so, and and then not only that, but by forcing those horrific black box bo- voting machines. I think part of the reason they did that was to make people even more disheartened, so that they felt even more disempowered. Because the fewer people who participate in the the voting process, the easier it is for them to rig and control elections. And I think the whole, I mean, we're we're. I, I, one thing I did, and I think one reason that I maintain my sanity to some degree, <laughs> and and I'm happy, <laughs> is that uh, I stopped watching television when I was 17 years old. And Good I for think you. The, the the psyops are so great th- that anyone who watches television on a on a regular basis. You know you've got to
0: it's, it's so
1: hard on you um to hear them get away with saying these blatant lies and falsehoods and and trick people and and one of the ways that they do this is to make people feel isolated disempowered or that there there' there's something deeply wrong with them there's a there's a new um There's a new website somebody somebody sent me a link to. I'll have to send it to you. But it was Wayseeker. I think that was Wayseeker.com. But it was like looking at the people who are nonconformists who 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 speak up for truth and saying, if you're one of these people who seeks truth, I mean, we we need you. (laughs) You're a gift to us. We need we we need if you're the one who who doesn't want to go along to get along, who um who's a who's Awake and, and and thinking and feeling and caring and connecting. Um, that's what's needed at this time, and I, I think that um, we what we what we really want to do is activists is to help other people um, become empowered or or um, find find their own strength, their own inner peace, because it's. It's it, uh, when when I, I I think one person can, has a, a tremendous impact, and we've seen this time and time again. And we want we know that we don't need one Buddha or one Christ or right. one savior. We need. Many of them, everybody. <laughs> we this infectious enlightenment, and and reach that critical mass. And it seems like there's more and more people going that way. If we if we can if we can help even reach the people who seem like our our enemy at this point, and get them to change. And w- what gives me hope is that. Uh, I I think transformation is possible and that uh the the people who we might conceive of or perceive as enemies there the the potential of allies is, is so much greater I I would say 90, 99% of humanity is probably on the side of the biophilics there's only maybe 1% that is you know, totally psychotic and out there, but
0: there's more of us than them.
1: Yeah, and I think it, I think we're we're going to we're we're going to win. We're going to have that that shift, but but uh, it's going to take a lot of effort on on our part. And you know, I, I I can't help feeling very deeply that we chose to be born in this time and place for a reason. Yeah, we have to just. Follow, tap into our inner wisdom and follow our hearts. And when we are in align with that, whatever our divine purposes, we are we will live in joy and we will we will do good things. And that's all we can do. And and I I'm, I'm I'm actually a Virgo. My mom was a Virgo, and and Virgos are to some degree we are, we are very self defeating because we're very self critical. We're really hard on ourselves. And so I, I'd say the most important thing that I ever learned in life was how to forgive, how to accept, and how to love myself, my friends, my family, the world. And this is what I think we need to do on, on a, on a personal level and on, on, on larger levels. I, I even, when there was a big conference in, when, when we did the conception dollar, part of it was born out of what was called a story-filled conference where, writers, artists, authors, filmmakers all got together in Colorado at a place where Buddhism actually came to the west and for like a week and um and I, it was a really intense kind of spiritual, deep experience. And my roommate <laughs> taught radical forgiveness. And I thought, oh, well, this is really good. This is really important. Um, but I learned that long time ago. I don't need to know this more. But but I, I went through a very painful experience. And, and I realized that, you know, we, we can take this to a, a deeper level, that uh, uh, radical forgiveness... In, if you if you check out the book uh is recognizing patterns that you create in your life and you and you have to um, figure figure out the larger patterns in order to forgive on a on a on a larger level beyond beyond the personal level on a on a sort of a planetary cosmic level and maybe because the situation is so. So dire at this time, we have to, we have to expand our hearts more than ever, uh, to be able to, uh, love and transform people who are, who, who need, who need it the most <laughs> and who can also help and, and, and maybe need to shift the most.
0: We could speak for hours. Yeah. I would like to invite you back. Oh sure. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: Oh, there there's so many things I I I'm always going crazy just because I want to tell everyone everything all the time and I can't. I have one body and I have Twenty-four hours a day. When I become goddess, I I think I'll stretch it. I think we'll have twenty-seven hours every day, at least an extra three hours <laughs> <at> night. <laughs> but um, but it was a, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Kim, and I really appreciate the work you've done, the guests that you've had on your show. I think it's so important.
0: Thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Thank you for founding the International Media Project. I was a co-founder. A co-founder, <laughs> excuse me. Who was the other founder?
1: One of one of my favorite quotes is a friend of mine, Nori Huddle. She says, together we can do what no one of us can do alone. Indeed,
0: and I indeed. Through.
1: I have a one-hour show. It's called Community Currency.
0: Community Currency. It's okay. on
1: Progressive Radio Network um, every week, and it's archived online. And I I did a show called Questioning War, Organizing Resistance for a year and a half, too, and those archives are online. Beautiful. Uh, But I still, uh, like you, uh, am trying to figure things out, and I'm I'm open open and learning every day.
0: It's a great pleasure to have you on as our guest. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking with, learning from, and listening to Carol Brulé. You can find her at communitycurrency.org. And you can also go to her blog and buy her perception and deception dollars and become part of the work of making life better on earth. Carol, thank you so much. It's thank rainmaking me. time.